Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We are just going to hop right in it today. While you are doing that, let me uh, say again, welcome to those of you in the building and uh, to those of you online. We're so glad that you are here with us today. My name is Josh. I'm a pastor on staff, but the people that love me affectionately call me the heathen pastor. Uh, Vicki, uh, I don't know where you're at, Vicki. You hate when I say that because she thinks I'm putting myself down, but it really is an identification marker for me. See, what I mean by that, like an example is many of your pastors met their spouses in Bible college. I met mine at a bar. Some people, <laughs> some people aren't sure what to do with that information, uh, hence the name Ethan Pastor, and I just bring all that up not to talk about myself, but how you were raised affects how you see things. During our time in this True North series that we've been in, we've been saying everyone looks at life through a lens, and if that lens is distorted, so is our perspective. It leads us to interpret life kind of as we want to believe it is, not as it actually is. And as painful as that might be uh, to hear, the source of most of our frustrations in life come from us being certain that we are not the problem. And that's a big, big problem. It uh, reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, and he's talking about uh, a lamp and how it helps us see and it illuminates things. And uh, he says this statement, be careful how you listen. Now it's interesting, he, he shifts from seeing to hearing is something that we don't often connect. And I know during our time, we're going to see if the heathen pastor can write on this. Uh, we've been, you've seen these circles, right? Eric covered this last week, and it's about, you know, your context, where you live, your, your beliefs, how you think, and your actions, what you do. And Jesus is combining these things. If you need a fuller, uh, uh, well, I can't apologize for this. You know, uh, we are walking through this book of 1 Corinthians, so if you've missed, you, you are kind of coming in and on the middle of a conversation, but you can jump in on our uh, app online and kind of review some of these things, uh, but I'll do my best to kind of figure this out. But the, the, the second interesting thing is this part right here. Be careful how you listen. Because often we are, we, we're careful to what we hear, but not how we hear it. We're, we're concerned about what we see, but not how we see it. And that's, that's a problem. So we're going to cut up chapter 7 over the next couple weeks uh, into these three categories that Paul addressed as covering the relationships that we're involved in. Today, my task is to talk to you about marriage. So here's my disclaimer. If you're in here with young kids and you might be worried about them hearing about things that couples might like to do together, this would be your time to consider those adjustments I do not plan on being R-rated. I will be uh, very respectful, but I want to be real 
Um, if I had my children in here, I think I'd be okay with it, but they do call me the heathen pastor. So you're the, you're the parent here. You make your own decisions. You have time to do that now. Uh, so yeah, so there's much you could say uh, about marriage. And I was really planning to do so to, to, to get all into it. But as I was doing that, I realized that Paul isn't trying to do that. Paul is not trying to lay his magnus opus, the foundation for marriage. He is troubleshooting the problems that they have with their relationships. Today, our text is sandwiched in between these two statements. Pastor Eric last week uh, finished in, in, in uh, verse 6, chapter 20. Uh, Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And we're going to finish with the statement in 7, uh, 35, to live in a right way and undivided devotion to the Lord. So That's what we're all here for. We want to be right with God, right? We want God and us and how we live to be right. But sandwiched in between these two pieces of bread, Paul only talks about relationships. Isn't that interesting? To be right with God is to be right with others. Devotion to to one is inseparable to devotion to the other. And so with that, Let's uh, hop into these two sections of scriptures for our message today. So chapter 7, verse 1. Now to the matters you wrote about. Is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise... The wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but she yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by a mutual consent for a time, so that you may be that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack. Of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Let's skip down to verse 25. Verse 25, 725. Now about the virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of this present crisis, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to be with a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they don't. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it... We're not theirs to keep those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For the world in its present form is passing away. Let's bring it home. 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this 
for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul, we open this up, he's, for the first six chapters, he's been addressing concern on his mind, and now he shifts to things this church wrote to him about. So we're going to start with the concern of marriage. The concern of marriage. So the Corinthians wrote to Paul, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This statement reveals some distortions of their lens. First off, good for who? It's good for single people to behave single, but Paul here is addressing married couples that think it's good to behave single. Sex is designed as a a blessing, a bonus, a perk uh, for marriage to only be paused if we're seeking the will of God by uh, and have decided to pray and fast together. I thought it was interesting that Paul says it would be good for couples to pray and fast together. I'm betting most of you in here that our couples have never done that before. And that's unfortunate because uh, prayer with fasting is an excellent way to not only get closer to the presence of God, but reveal the selfishness that's inside of you that's working against you and against your marriage. No one thinks they're selfish. Anytime we, we do these connect cards and you guys have prayer requests, nobody is saying, hey, pray, P, pastor, please pray for my selfishness. But deny yourself a little bit of something you want like food for a while and just watch the things that come to your mind and out of your mouth. God designed marriage on purpose to be other-focused relationships in a me-focused world. Most of our problems in marriage or any relationship is that we're selfish. You could say we like to concern ourselves with ourselves. We like to concern ourselves with ourselves. And if you're like me, I'm pretty good at that. Don't really have an issue trying to get that to stick. Marriage points to the fundamental principle of God's created order, this connection. We exist together and rely on each other to survive and flourish. When we lose sight of this, we fall into the trap of trying to run solo, isolating ourselves from the very people that we need. It traps us into this limited perspective, right? We all have views that are off, and we believe that we are better off alone and that my words and actions, what I say and what I do, don't really affect anybody. Just like an addict fools themselves, we all think, I was just minding my own business, not hurting anybody. Here's the problem with that. Were were you born through immaculate conception? Were you magically educated at birth? Can you fix your car? Can you build your house? Can you diagnose your body? Can you provide your clothes? Can you provide all the things that you need? Well, of course you can't. It's our parents, our teachers, government, farmers, builders, doctors, Amazon, delivery people, all are part of our story and part of my wife's survival because she gets packages all the time. We are connected and need others 
in ways that we don't often recognize or admit. Another distortion they have in their thinking is that sex is bad and not part of God's design for marriage. Paul will have none of that. In verse 2 and verse 3, he encourages marriage couples to enjoy and have regular sex. He says in verse 5, not to deprive each other unless they are seeking to get closer to God. That word deprive is the Greek word apostarero. It comes uh, from the English word apostasy, which means the abandonment of faith. It carries the idea of fraud. And Paul is liking withholding sex from marriage to defrauding your spouse. The truth is God made sex good, and unfortunately, the church has made sex seem bad. Instead of being proactive to celebrate the gift of of sex from God, we've been reactive to the world's infatuation with it, making it even taboo to talk about. I mean, some of you are very uncomfortable in this room because I have mentioned sex a number of times and just wish that I would move on. The question is, why is that? God could have made sex an ordinary, boring process that you wouldn't enjoy, but instead he put all these nerve endings in particular places just so you could enjoy this gift. Christian married couples, I think, should be known for having the best sex, the best sex, and not be afraid and not be known for being afraid to talk about it or shaming it. The last distortion I want to point out uh, is this two-class system uh, that's present in their thinking. Notice how the statement doesn't say it's, is it good for a woman not to have sex with a man? In a male-ran society, this isn't a surprising thing coming from them, but how Paul instructs them is ground shaking. Paul says in verse four, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. So that's not the surprising part, but what he says next is, in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. Paul's implying that one is not over the other, that we were meant to serve one another. In those days, men ran the show and women were at the beck and call of men's desires, and Paul instructs against that view here in many other places. Now, on a practical note, because I just don't want this to be all theory for you, for you men, and this is particularly for you men, sex is a powerful tool for, to be used in marriage, right? There's a lot of things that could be going wrong, and, and, and particularly uh, uh, when a couple can enjoy one another, it can make, it just kind of greases the, the wheel, so to speak. Uh, somebody nodded me and like, yes, okay, thank you, Brock. I appreciate that, right? So men, you, we typically have higher sex urges uh, than our wives do. But I want to remind you that sex is about serving your wife's needs, not about just meeting your own. Your wife possibly could have a bigger appetite and desire for sex if she enjoyed the experience. Now, you're probably saying, well, Pastor, that sounds all good, but how do I do that? And I'm going to, this is, this is ground shaking, right? You'd pay a lot of money to go to therapists to give you this. But this is what you do. You talk to one another. 
you ask what you like and what you don't like. It's just really as simple as that, and it's awesome. Now on to a bit more uh, controversial subject on this, thinking that you're better or have more authority over someone because of your gender, race, education, or economics isn't teaching that we get from Jesus. He's our crucified Messiah who broke social rules and customs and crossed boundaries to teach us to put concerns of others above our own. We are to be a crucified Christ to the people that we meet, not put them in a pecking order. We're always about power structures, fighting about who is on charge. And that's how the world operates. But let me simplify things for you in the church. God is in charge and we all are to be serving him and one another. And check this out. Even though God is the one who is in charge, he still serves us. Because that's what leadership is in the kingdom of God. Anyone here at first that has a title is just identifying them as the biggest servant. We should be the first ones in and the first ones out. And if we're not doing that, we might be having a title. We're just not leading anyone. The concern of marriage in any relationship is other focused. That's the point. And we're selfish, so that can be hard to do. So it brings me to the second uh, thing I want to talk about, the calling of marriage. The calling of marriage. Paul says in verse 7, I wish all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So we're all called to either be married or single. And just so you know, we're going to have a whole sermon for singleness here. My focus is marriage. I'm trying to, with relationships, bring you into this. Uh, but I just wanted you to know that. But each one, whether you're married or single, is sacred and unique gift from God. Matter of fact, gift, this word gift in here is the same word he'll use in chapters 12, 13, and 14 to talk about the parts, the connection, and the need within the church body's gifts. Paul will argue in this, which kind of sounds like he's promoting singleness over marriage, but nowhere does he claim that uh, being single is superior to marriage. In verse 26, he indicates they're facing a present crisis. So no one actually knows what this crisis is. Uh, you can read all about it. I typically think that it's talking about this present and growing persecution that they're facing. That's why he, I think he says in verse 28, uh, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from those. So imagine this. If you're married back in those days and you have children and your wife gets arrested and she's tortured and she's killed, all of a sudden you are left alone having to raise and provide for your kids all by yourself. Now ask any single parent in here how difficult that is. And this was a regular occurrence within the early church. And even if martyrdom wasn't faced, even if you didn't get killed, there's just extra concerns that comes with being married, which generally leads to having children. When I was single and I felt God call me to go on a mission trip or do something, I just did it. There wasn't much thinking involved in it. Some of you are like, there's still not much thinking involved in your thinking, but that's all right. But now that I'm married and have kids, uh, that uh, uh, responding to those things isn't so easy because I've got 
extra concerns that I didn't before. I've got extra expenses. I've got three daughters. I'm saving for weddings. I'm saving for college. And so I'm a bit more divided in my availability than I was before. So marriage does come with extra burdens, but it also comes with extra blessings. Marriage, we, we've covered this, but you get to enjoy the sexual expression that God designed to build intimacy. There is no higher form of intimacy between two people than when a married couple gets together. Marriage is the best place to raise the family, the ideal structure for a child to grow and develop, to get the full picture of God, is a committed Christian mother and father. And I know that's a, I don't mean to make anyone mad, that, that's just it. God created them in his image, both male and female. You need one of each because each can give their children different things that the other can't give. And probably most of all, marriage mirrors God's covenantal relationship with his people. Jesus calls us his bride, and he is the bridegroom. Now, if you didn't catch that, we church are called a chick. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. He describes heaven, the thing he's preparing us for, as this wedding banquet that we're going to enjoy with him one day. Marriage makes God visible to others. It's really quite that simple. When my wife forgives me and accepts, accepts me, I learn uh, God's forgiveness and acceptance as well. In that moment, she is displaying God to me and helping me see with my own eyes a very spiritual reality that I might not catch just by reading a text when when my children when, when your children see you uh, working out conflict and and uh, being good and serving one another, you're modeling the love and goodness of God to them. I love every morning when I'm praying with my kids and we hold hands and and my kids will put me and my wife Michelle's hands together because we have modeled love for them and they are eager and want that to be displayed in their lives all the time. They're, they're hungry of it. You could say they like it, they love it, they want some more of it, right? When the world sees you hold on to your marriage through the ups and downs of life, you are modeling the relentless and sacrificial love of Christ for them. Marriage has an incredible opportunity to visibly display God without even saying a word. It's why God created marriage and called some of us to it. So who you are is God's gift to you. What you become is your gift back to God. If you're married in here today, what gift are you giving back to God? What are you giving back to God? So marriage has a concern and marriage is a calling, but marriage also has a cost. That's the last thing I want to talk to you about, the cost of marriage. Paul finishes his thoughts on marriage in singleness in verse 35, and he says, that you may live in a right way of undivided devotion to the Lord. He's saying that what we do with our bodies, our thoughts and actions in 
relationships, we either lead to a right or wrong devotion to God. So when it comes to marriage, we often put expectations on marriage that God never designed to give us. We want completeness. We want uh, happiness. We want carefree living. God has designed marriage not for those things, but for partnership, for intimacy, and for the ability to pursue God together. Many people think marriage is about finding your soulmate, that one who will uh, complete us. And the problem with thinking that someone, some person is going to complete you is that it's idolatry. For you single people in here, if, if you are not happy existing in your, on your own, you're never going to be happy with someone else miserable existing on their own. You'll just be two people that are miserable together. You were designed to be completed and find fullness in God and in God alone. If we expect our spouses or somebody to come in and be God for us, you are always going to be disappointed because no person can handle that expectation. Now, I know it breaks some of your hearts in here because I'm unromantic in saying that God didn't give you one person and billions of people to be your spouse. But think of it this way. Would you want someone that was forced to love you or someone who says, I choose you out of a billion other people to love? Just like Jesus wasn't forced to love us, he chose to. His sacrifice on the cross to make us right with God came at a severe cost to him because here's the thing, all relationships, whether they are good or bad, lead you to God or lead you away from him, all come with sacrifice and commitment. Marriage is two people becoming one flesh, not two people remaining two people, not one person being forced to be like the other. You are to become something new, something different. When I got married to my wife and Michelle, we weren't really Josh and Michelle anymore. We were Joshelle or Mishua, right? That's, That's how it should be. Because there's parts of us like, that have to be cut, they have to be reoriented because there's a cost that comes with marriage in one flesh. Real quick, this is not an exhaustive list, but like your spouse has to be your number one priority. Yes, your relationship to God, it's all under your relationship to God, but being a follower of Christ isn't at odds with you loving your spouse or your singleness for that matter. It's what he tells us to do. That means mom, dad, friends, even your children take a back seat to your spouse. I'm not saying that you write these relationships off, but you, you make decisions based on what is best for your spouse. You protect each other. You, if necessary, fight for one another because you are extensions of one another. I mean, I will put the fear of God into anyone that dis- disrespects my wife, because we are one flesh, and primarily that means my kids. Do you know you have to protect one another from your kids? You don't let your kids just talk to, whether it be your wife or your husband, you, you lay down the law, and maybe this will get me taken off uh, Facebook Live or wherever wrong because I'm saying that, but like, hey, your kids are not the boss here. You are. 
If you wonder why our kids are going crazy, because you're allowing them to respect your one flesh union. Where and how you spend the holidays, whether your mom likes it or not, how you, what you watch on TV, how messy or clean you keep the house, where you set the temperature on the thermostat all need to be made in light of what's best for your spouse. And I am beating this point because I want you to remember you say no to many people because you said yes to one person. Just like it works out in our faith, you say no to all the things that the world wants to chase us because you said yes to Jesus. Moving quickly, uh, uh, what last thing I want to say about there, there's no more my stuff. It's just our stuff, right? That's the good stuff in the baggage. That's the savings account in the debt. When you get married, it, it, it's, it's all yours because when, you're, when your wife is hurting, you should be hurting too. Your job is not to fix it, but sit there and let her process that hurt with you. Why is when, when your husband is down and he's struggling, you carry some of that weight too because you are one flesh and there's a cost to marriage. Many marriages break down because we think the wedding date kind of sealed the deal on things, but the wedding uh, the, the, the marriage just kind of started that deal. Marriages will always stop working when we stop working our marriages. Marriages will always stop working when we stop working our marriages. Love isn't something you fall in and out of. It's something you work towards and build together. And it comes at a cost in our currency that we pay with is commitment and sacrifice. So whether you're in here today, you're single, you're married, and you call yourself a Christian, we are the bride of Jesus, collectively supposed to be married to Jesus together. And Jesus tells us what we need to do uh, to be married to him. He says you uh, need to say the sinner's prayer, get baptized, and throw some change in the offering plate at church. No, he doesn't say that. Uh, those things are included in it, but the cost is much more. In, in Luke chapter 9, he will say that you should deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow me. Now check this out. Deny yourself. This is the concern. What do we talk about? We're selfish. Our selfishness is killing us from being able to follow Jesus. You have to die daily, and that's not an easy thing for us to do, right? That's how I have it tattooed here on my arm. Yeah, you thought I was just straight up heathen. I got Bible verses up here. Thanks for judging me. Uh, but die to yourself. Die daily, and it's hard to die daily. I don't get it right all the time, but, but here, if I want to be devoted to Christ, I have to wake up every day and say, what's one thing I can kill to follow him better? Carry your cross daily. This is the calling. That's our calling. Every day you have to wake up and choose. Do you want to be married to Jesus or do you not? And if you do, you have to pick up whatever your cross is. Don't call your wife the cross. That won't get you any brownie points. But, uh, uh, you know, you've got to choose. And it's a daily choice. And follow me. 
That's the cost. That's the cost. That's the cost of what it takes to be married to Jesus. The reason why churches are dwindling, people are deconstructing from their faith, that you see little transformation that occurs in the life of a church is that many of us treat a relationship like Jesus, like this individual deal we made long ago. We point out our love for Jesus like, hey, this is the date that I got saved. 10, 20, 30 years ago. That's how I'm gonna prove my love for Jesus. You think that would work well in your marriage? If No, no. But we think, we think it can just uh, work for Jesus. Following Jesus is a lifeline commitment to be devoted to him in his church. We are the bride collectively together. And it's the only place that gives us love and purpose that we can't find anywhere else. We like the benefits of Jesus, but resist the commitments. We like to be friends with benefits. Yeah, we'll hook up every now and then, a little rendezvous. God, yes, but church, no. Yeah, we'll come. We'll give a little money. We'll, we'll donate a time every once in a while. But to, to make being involved in a church a priority and a commitment, I can't do that, Pastor. Got to keep my options open. Don't want to miss out on all of the opportunities that I might miss if I commit to that. And if that's your thinking about the church, I want to suggest to you that you already have. The church is the only instrument that I know of to bring the presence and promises of God to life for one another. We can only do that when we focus our concern and embrace our calling and be willing to cover the cost. We're going to transition now into a time of communion and if you didn't grab them there's uh, elements at each of the four stations an interesting thing about uh, communion is something that Jesus instructs us to do together it's not that you can't do it I'm not trying to be a Pharisee up here you could take communion on your own I, I'm not saying that but but he tells us it's something as often as you are together do this in remembrance of me and yes it's about remembering the sacrifice of Jesus the the, the cost that he paid to make us family, but it's also remembering the sacrifices that the body here has made for you as well and being thankful for them as well. It's a time to thank God for what he's done. It's also a time to thank God for the body that he's given you, all these gifts that are sitting out to your left or right. All these gifts that we get up here and back there and ministering to your kids and putting donuts and coffee that you love to come, the people to make sure the air's at the right temperature for you. 
Oh yes, communion is about Jesus and communion is about what Jesus loves and that's his bride. So the timer is gonna come up on screen. Use this time uh, to let the Holy Spirit talk to you about the things he wants to talk about. I wanna pray for you. Father God, your word is alive and active. I pray that you are alive and active in our hearts today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.